0: Hello, and welcome to the Warden FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Kian Asani, and today we're joined by Zor Gorilov, the CEO and co-founder of Kazisto. Kazisto is the developer of Kai, a conversational AI platform that powers virtual assistants and bots on mobile, web, and messaging platforms and voice-enabled devices. Zor has over 20 years of experience in the software industry. He was the CEO and co-founder of SpeechCycle, a market leader in cloud-based contact center optimization solutions for the telco market. Prior to that, Zor founded and ran buzzcompany.com, a provider of enterprise collaboration and messaging software. Zor, great to have you on today. It's, it's great to be on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, that's, uh, I understand you are from the Soviet Union. Want to hear more about your early life there, how that shaped you as an entrepreneur in terms of where you focus your efforts, how that guided you.
1: Yeah, that's that's great, yeah, I was born and raised and went to school and graduated from college in what is now the Republic of Georgia, which used to be part of Soviet Union. And in fact, I started my first uh, software company in, in Soviet Union in the late 80s when things opened up. Peristorica uh, so started and there was a lot of excitement and my first software company, uh, we did uh, medical information systems. That were built on IBM compatible computers, and we sold them to the hospitals that were in need of information systems that really didn't exist. Um, um, uh, with myself and my co founder, um, we provided a, what is now known as a turnkey solution uh, the hardware and the software specifically designed for uh, hospital uh, and patient uh, uh, management. The thing that is interesting about my first venture is um, the market was very uh, immature. I mean, things were opening up, but, um, you know, we to buy computers. I mean, you know, you couldn't really get Soviet-made personal computers, so we had to get them in, in the West with the economy the was not functioning properly. So we ended up buying those computers from uh, foreign students who were uh, studying in the Soviet Union. In fact, we would go meet with them and... Uh, Leave them a deposit, and they went home. They bought a computer overseas, they brought it back, and we configured it and installed it and added our software and sold it to the hospital. So it was, it was adventurous. What it made it even more adventurous that was a cash economy. banking system was not functional, so everything that we did was in cash. Of course, was was, was quite interesting, but uh, that uh, the journey ended actually uh, got well, well, because um, you know I like to say that I had the most successful exit strategy in in the world, I was able from this venture to save enough money to put myself, my family, my two-year-old son, uh, who, as I, as I mentioned earlier, ended up going to Wharton uh, on the plane, and we exited the country, and we landed here in the United States, and then I, you know, continued working in software, which I, I really like.
0: That's a fascinating background. How did that, you think, influence your decision to focus on fintech as a career opportunity
1: I don't know if there is a direct correlation of economy and uh, and my decision to go into fintech I, I think but uh, but I did have entrepreneurial experience that is really but after I came here I, was, I I was a software engineer by training I worked for uh, software companies including Microsoft uh, and others wrote a lot of software love love software uh, but I also had entrepreneurial uh, Gene and me, somewhere, uh, and I wanted to always go and do, do my own thing. Uh, the first company that I, uh, well, after doing software uh, 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 and engineering and product management, playing those roles, I ended up starting my first software company here in New York. Uh, the company was called BuzzCompany.com. We did enterprise messaging and collaboration software at a company we started in the mid 90s. Uh, and then uh, exited that business in early 2000s. Um, um, it was, we made horizontal software. You know, I think um, Merrill Lynch, Intel, Ford, Nokia were all uh, customers of ours. Um, and it was a very exciting time. Dot com was happening, and uh, we've had a uh, successful uh, exit. Company was acquired, I think, in early uh, 2000. And so that was my. Uh, first startup in the United States, uh, and the second overall, and then from there, I um, started a company called uh, SpeechCycle, and SpeechCycle did contact center optimization for the telco uh, industry. Uh, the company was fairly horizontal, as you could tell from the list of m- customers. Uh, SpeechCycle was focused exclusively in the telco market, and we built the very first and early versions of virtual assistants, both for um phone uh, uh but also for smartphones that were beginning in, in uh, to emerge in in, in 2005 on. Uh, speechcycle was also venture funded and um I uh, exited that business in 2012 was acquired by a public company in New Jersey called uh Synchronous uh technologies. I had a lot of fun at SpeechCycle, and speech cycle and the reason I started that because uh, one of my software roles I used to work on Bell Apps this was in the early 90s and i was fascinated by speech recognition natural language and ai technologies and uh you know speech cycle gave me an opportunity to really take that passion and turn it into business and help our uh, telco customers around the world um you know telstra was a customer in australia here we have time warner and uh Cablevision and charter and Cox communications and we're all using our software of uh, virtual assistants to interact uh, with their uh, users, which was a lot of
0: fun. So after you sold SpeechCycle to SNCR, what were you seeing in the landscape that kind of affected your next decision to move forward with Casisto?
1: Yeah, I um, um, stayed on for a little while through for, for, for the integration process. Um, uh, but then I started thinking about my next adventure, and uh, I was approached by Stanford Research Institute, or SRI. SRI is the same organization that created Siri, uh, and, that, and then, it sold, of course, Siri was sold to, to Apple. They have uh, decades of experience in artificial intelligence technology, and post Siri, they started working on uh, sort of next generation virtual assistant platforms. And what made it next generation uh, was uh, that the rather than Siri that, that is um, very broad, that's shallow. In other words, Siri knows many things, but it knows very little about every one of those things. You know, SRI platform was designed for specific domain or vertical. And the advantage of building sort of domain-specific AI platform was that users could actually have uh, uh, multi turn conversations uh, with uh, AI systems. And that's the platform that the SRI started building uh, and then they uh, at the time they partnered with a bank to uh, try it out of banking. and uh, after they had a successful trial, they decided to create a venture. They have very strong venture licensing program, very well structured, very well designed, and uh, they asked me to lead this venture. So I, I, I became an EIR or ex- executive in residence, CEO of the venture and co-founder, and then I recruited um, my other two co-founders. Uh, uh, Sasha Katsky, who uh, joined as CTO, still is CTO of Casisto, he uh, came from IBM, CJ Watson's lab, and Dror Oren, who is a chief product officer, Uh, Dror is sort of a godfather of uh, Cosisto because he was at SRI working in their venture group uh, working on spinning out what became Cosisto and he frankly recruited me as the CEO of the venture and then I recruited him and he's the chief product officer. And uh, so that's how Cosisto was born, a very rich set of uh, AI, IP, as well as banking uh, specific data. And then one of the first things that I did after we uh, uh, started incubating the venture at SLI, we went and talked to banks. And there was a lot of interest from banks around the world uh, and willingness to spend to improve their customer experience, to better engage their customers on digital channels, to better service their customers on digital channels through this human-like conversation. So that's that's how consistent would work.
0: So, so this this is fascinating, obviously, a technology like this fits perfectly into what's happening with digital banking, the proliferation of digital and mobile banking can you Can we talk about just a bit about the industry as a whole how what are what are digital banks doing? What is the future of digital banking um, going forward as incumbent you know traditional brick and mortar retail banks move to the digital platforms?
1: Yeah, um, I think clearly, as you said, digital banking uh, is happening, and we believe that, that um, every bank uh, that is serious about visual transformation uh, needs to have a, a virtual assistant Uh, as part of their uh, transformation uh, uh, strategy. I'll give you an example. We started working um, early on in in Asia. Our first customer was DBS Bank in uh, Singapore, one of the largest banks in Southeast Asia. And uh, when the new CEO came in, he has decided to expand DBS internationally to increase their market, market footprint, but do it through a digital only bank. And he picked India as a first market, so he launched something that is called uh, Digibank now um, in in India, and subsequently, because of the success in India, they launched in, in Indonesia as well, and they're looking at other markets in the, in the region as well. Uh, launch of Digibank in India, that was uh, actually the time, was not just digital, it was mobile-only bank. It was a mobile app only. That app had two unique uh, features. One of its uh, features was 90-second... Um, paperless account opening uh, powered by uh, Indian government-sponsored Adhar biometric system. And the second feature that they had was virtual assistant powered by CHI uh, that enabled users to um, interact uh, with uh, the with bank without any uh, kind of human assistance. So they, they, this was a purely um, a mobile bank, no branches, no call centers, and those are the two features that made it quite unique as part of the mobile app. Um, I think today, I don't know the exact number, but two years on, the bank has two and a half or three million users, and 80%, uh, uh, over 80% of all interruptions between uh, DBS and Digibank users and the bank are managed by CHI, and only 18% or so require human assistance. So that's the kind of benefit that Kai, uh provides to a digital bank. And then, again, success of, of the Digibank in India led to roll out in,
0: um, in uh, Indonesia and then in, in Singapore as well. Wow, that is unbelievable. So that uh, means that essentially KAI is able to handle 82% of all inbound issues or requests that come through the system for BBS.
1: Correct. We we believe that you know we created with DBS as the world's digit uh, deepest uh, uh, virtual banking system. Uh, Anything you can think of, banking, card, kind knows of how to uh, answer from. Uh, you know, a customer acquisition to a customer engagement to customer service to customer education. Uh, how do I open an account? Well, what what documents do I need to open an account? Uh, uh, show me my uh, transactions. Have I paid my bill? to I'm traveling to Italy. Do I have will you charge me ATM fees? Have a very very broad base of knowledge that. Uh, BBF users in India have access to uh, through Kai and of course there are instances and, and frankly those that require um, uh, that require human assistance and I think in the in the foreseeable future next uh, I would say three to five years, I think the seamless blend of AI and human capabilities will continue to be necessary so Kai knows how uh, to hand off these uh, 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 users to uh, live chat agents, and this handoff can be managed in different ways. For example, you know, um, if customer is looking for a mortgage, you know, they're probably better off today talking to a human being. Uh, in other words, there are some by design experiences for upsell and cross-sell purposes that require human assistance. Um, if somebody has a problem on their account, probably better handled by a person than just a virtual assistant. So there that is very careful, Carefully designed strategy that blends AI and humans together while, that allows the bank to reap the benefits of AI but also provide human assistance when needed.
0: How much of a game changer is this for banks? I mean, call centers are a huge cost strain on banking infrastructure. If you can implement CHI, can't you reduce that significantly? Are you seeing that with any of your um, more traditional incumbent customers?
1: Yeah, I think the, the savings can be, can be tremendous. And then the, uh, I think it's, it's uh, public now that uh, DBS CEO said that they're running the bank in India at one-fifth of the cost of traditional banks. These are, this is the magnitude of savings. Now, uh, when our customers deploy KAI, they are really looking at three different vectors. Uh, they're looking at servicing components, uh, engagement components, and user acquisition component, right? Can the virtual assistants be deployed to help banks uh, service their customers more cost, uh, cost efficiently? Can they improve engagement on digital channels and can banks use the conversational human-like experiences to acquire new customers? So what we did um, uh, earlier this year, we surveyed our customers and we said, out of those three vectors, why do you deploy cost? And we expected, uh, servicing to come back on top because there are some tangible and measurable benefits that banks realize from uh, from uh, from using CHI. We were surprised that 95% of our customers said that digital engagement was number one reason they are deploying Kai or CHI-like virtual assistant. So when we double clicked on that and we enough. An uh uh, some of our customers say why, why engagement is more important than servicing. Uh, the answer was interesting. Well, they said they basically said that, look, uh, if relationship between a bank and, and the banking users on digital channels becomes very transactional. People go in and check their balances and pay bills and transfer money. And banks are looking to use this conversational AI or human-like conversations the a way to build better relationship with their customers. In other words, customer goes in, asks a question, and that question leads to conversation, and conversation leads to better relationship. All AI-powered, purely on digital channel. So engagement is very important for banks in addition to uh, servicing as well.
0: Wow, that's interesting. I was actually, we were talking to another friend of the podcast recently, and they mentioned that uh, traditional retail banks, a customer will walk into their bank, once every month, while a mobile banking user will engage with their mobile app 18 times in a month. So the increase in engagement with the customers through digital and mobile platforms is vastly higher. And if you, if Kai is working the way it's supposed to, I mean, it's drastically improving that, that experience through the mobile app. Are you seeing the same thing?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you um, a little bit different spin on the fact that we're the same story. Um, So, we have a customer uh, that deployed uh, Kai on their digital properties, right? Um, And when I say digital properties, I mean websites and uh, uh, their mobile apps, iOS and Android apps. By the way, Kai, you know, the way to think about Kai is Kai is a banking brain that can manage conversations with users across multiple channels. They can have conversations on the web, on mobile devices, on messaging platforms like Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, and Alexa. The same brain having these the, the conversations. So, to go back to this bank, they deployed Kai. But before they deployed Kai, they have a live chat button, like many banks do. So, you, you go, you tap, tap on the website and live chat, and you start having conversations with live chat. Then they deployed Kai, and Kai was sitting before uh, a live chat. What they saw was quite interesting. They uh, observed 4X increase in digital engagement, and that means users uh, clicked on that talk to us button four uh, times more frequently, while they decreased number of live chat sessions with human agents by 50%. So this is, you know, increased engagement, reduced cost. Now. You know these, naturally, the question is why would people you know want to interact with a i more frequently than, than live live agents and the answer yeah. to the question is if you look at the nature of the interactions they they are they are very very different uh people go to CHI and ask questions that they would not think are answerable by human agents right uh yeah, well, let me take an example um uh, what did I spend on Uber on my last trip to San Francisco, right? This is not a question that you call your bank and ask, right? But now I can actually answer this question. So it's really um, not only, it drives engagement because it expands the the universe of interactions that consumers can have with a bank.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that angle, but of course, I mean, there's constantly times where I'm frustrated with a human agent on the phone because I don't think they even have the answers for the questions I have. There are more examples of that. I mean, they, you know, people
1: go in and ask deeply personal questions, right? Again, things that you would not go and ask your banker, right? Uh, I have so much debt. So what do I do? Or uh, I have a gambling problem, you know? Just you know, and then uh, you now you need to dis- 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 design a persona, right? And we help banks do that. That knows how to answer those questions. So we we take. Social responsibility is part of our AI very very seriously. So when people ask those questions and we know that they do, we go to banks and say, "Well, how do you want to handle this? I mean, what what do you? And so this results in very interesting conversations between us and banks, and very interesting persona creation experiences as well.
0: And that, given given the um, just personal and in depth nature of some of those questions, how do you implement uh, compliance and security around how Kai responds to those? Is that that really developed in, you know, beta when you're building out the uh, protocol with the banks or the clients. Yeah, so this is really excellent question. I mean,
1: compliance regulation is uh, is at the core of everything that we do. You know, we we're a B two B two C company. We sell to banks, and banks make our software available to customers to their customers. Mm-hmm. And so everything that we do. Um, a from um, how Kai interacts with users, uh, how Kai preserves and archives all the conversations uh, is every, everything is very carefully reviewed by us and and, and, and our customers. And at the core, security is another thing. How do we answer questions in a very specific, very uh, targeted way? Uh, for example, Kai has um, Kai can assign. Uh, security privileges to different question types. Uh, for example, Kai, can, when Kai interacts with you, a bank can say, well, you know what, Kai can transfer uh, money for my users as long as uh, you know, they get an, a one-time password and the amount does not exceed uh, $1,000, but it's more than $1,000, you know, then uh, they need to, what I log into my app if they're doing an Alexa. So all this, you know, the the uh, security requirements can be worked and are worked by the banks into into our infrastructure and APIs, which we make available uh, to banks. Now, c- compliance is in- interesting. Uh, U.S. banks and Asian banks are are looking at it like a slightly different perspective. Uh, I think in. Uh, uh, we are able to deploy our systems faster in Asia. We have multiple customers in multiple regions. I think Kai now runs in uh, seven countries, six, four languages. and when we deploy in Asia uh, they are the banks there perhaps are less regulated and uh, we can and we can deploy faster in the u s when we and North America in general, when we deploy. You know, we have multiple interactions with uh, marketing, as well as legal and compliance entities within the bank to make sure that um, KAI is fully compliant with, with the requirements.
0: And that that just brings up another question I had from earlier. You were talking about how you guys began um, deploying in Asia with DBS. Um, how is Asia different from the U.S. Uh, for financial institutions and fintechs? How do you how does KAI have to interact with them differently? Uh, I mean, I I, I imagine banking is much more open, especially in Singapore. It's one of the most open FinTech economies in the world. The U.S. has kind of lagged behind that when it comes to building, you know, open banking protocols. Um, How how is that different between those two markets and then Europe as well?
1: Yeah, I think that the uh, working in Asia uh, early on uh, taught us a lot of lessons. But it's not easy for U.S.-based and New York-based startup to work with banks in Singapore and Hong Kong and Indonesia, uh, 12 hours away, 13 hours away, uh, and uh, it puts, you know, additional level of complexity to uh, any business operation, especially startup. But we're quite happy that we started our, our, our journey in Asia. I think, in many ways, Asian banks are ahead of U.S. banks. Uh, in terms of innovation and I think regulation is one aspect of it uh, when we started working with EBS we were ex- inspired by the CEO's vision and his vision was he basically said to us that look I have a lot of respect for my competitors in the region but ultimately I am looking at, uh, at Alipay and Tencent and and financial these are my competitors five ten years out so And that that same kind of thinking is driving many banks in Asia to invest. They they feel that Chinese tech giants, and they know, not just feel it, uh, are very aggressive in entering financial services uh, in the region, and banks need to respond and uh, out-innovate them. And CBS is a perfect example of a bank with, I don't know, maybe 80% market share in Singapore, building its entire uh, digital banking strategy, an uh, expansion strategy in the region is, um, on on the digital, purely digital bank only. So the threat of Chinese tech giants is real. U.S. banks, I mean, they're looking at Amazon, is Amazon a bank? I mean, T-Mobile made an announcement yesterday about checking income. You know, is T-Mobile a bank? Uh, um, there's not same sense of urgency that the you know the Apples and Googles and Amazons of the world are going to come in and uh, start building banking relationship with their customers. And I think regulation is one aspect of it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So as as you've expanded uh, your customer base, you're now working with uh, Live in the UAE. It was actually funny. I was just looking at their website earlier today, and one of the f- things on their homepage is hashtag No Call Center. So no more hanging yeah. up. All the interactions happen. I'm assuming via your white-label product with Kai. Uh, how has that relationship developed moving into an economy in the Middle East?
1: Yeah, so we are working with Emirates and and then Live, uh, which is a millennial-only, millennial-focused bank in, in Dubai. And their virtual assistant, uh, her name is Olivia, and she's powered by Kai. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's quite interesting what they've done. Uh, I don't know if you've... Uh, monitor their social media campaign and all that. But what they did is we were working on training Olivia on the buy banking market and making her smarter and all that. They started social media campaign on LinkedIn and Facebook Messenger. They let their customers choose and define persona of their virtual assistant. Uh, yeah. And then they, yeah, they had five different virtual assistants and then uh, uh, then Olivia was selected as a, as a persona that they wanted. Then they created mentorship program. They have several thousand users who signed up uh, to become Olivia mentors and friends. Uh, they did a Facebook video show that was watched by 60,000 people in, in Dubai. It was quite an interesting launch uh, strategy. And then they officially launched, I think, earlier uh, early this year. And then I think email went out to all of their customers in March. And Olivia is uh, quite fascinating. I mean, the way Olivia was trained, uh, the a uh, the way Olivia came to, sort of, to be um, we Olivia provides uh uh human assistant assisted back off when needed uh we uh, they have they don't have call centers but they have live chat agents like most of our customers do and Olivia knows how to interact uh, uh with and how to hand off and they, what we call a containment rate or success rate within olivia uh it's early days that seems to be uh quite high as well um yeah, and Olivia was trained on things like, for example, you've probably seen on their website or their mobile app, they have these things, livions, which are points. Uh, Olivia knows about them and helps users accumulate points and rewards and manage them. Olivia knows about user goals, you know, uh, how am I doing on my uh, travel goal? i want going to go to Machu Picchu. So Olivia is trained on some, some very specific use cases around... Uh, the financial well-being and helping uh, live customers better manage and understand their money, which we believe uh, is, is a big purpose of deploying virtual assistants uh, in general.
0: You touch on a really important point, is that uh, digital banking is obviously being consumed much more by the millennial generation than it is by my parents' generation. My parents still prefer to go into the bank and talk to their banking rep, whereas I think millennials are interacting much more through mobile platforms. How does... Um, Financial planning and wellness factor into everything that your clients are doing with Kai
1: Yeah, that's that's another very good question. I mean, I I think the first I want to answer this question the company's vision is to use AI uh, to help um, Users with financial well-being and help them make better financial decisions. That, that's what we're trying to do as a company. I mentioned earlier that we talked talk, talk to banks and when banks deploy um, a KAI, they are looking for KAI to service, engage, and help them acquire customers. Now, if I'm a consumer, of millennial, when I go to my banking app or my banking website, I don't think in terms of I want to be serviced, acquired, or engaged by my bank. I, I go there for specific contacts and I go there to solve problems or make better financial decisions. So we are constantly focused on that and the use cases that help users make uh, better financial decisions. Now, it, it is not always easy conversation, right? I mean, you know, there are traditional banks have overdraft fees, right? Um, you know, uh, do you want to tell your customer or, or, or not about their overdraft fee? Right. And I think that forward looking banks that we're engaged with are always trying to get ahead of the curve and communicate with their customers about things that are likely to happen in their life and then help them manage those interruptions manage those experiences better. And then we believe Kai can play a major role in that.
0: Given that um Kai has now been deployed in several large banks, uh I noticed that you now are carrying an insurance product in your platform. Insurance has lagged behind other sectors in terms of digital adoption. Do you expect insurance to go the same way, um, to go digital the same way that banking has over the past decade? Or do you think that people still prefer to talk to an insurance agent when they're building complex policies?
1: Uh, yeah, insurance I think is a more complicated market. But we're in the early stages, I think, sort of learning and developing product for insurance vertical. Our two core products are focused today on consumer banking and corporate banking. The uh, one is obviously for retail banking customer. Another one designed for you know treasurers, CFOs of uh, major corporations interacting uh, with banks. Insurance is new. Um, it's a complex market, right, because you, have, uh, uh, you still have very strong agent infrastructure and many insurance companies are interested in uh, directing consumers, but they don't really quite know what it means. So Some of the insurance companies that we're working with are looking at deploying CHI um, uh, and understanding how users can use virtual assistants to file a claim or to get questions about their policy, I think. Um, but the agent, the body of agents is still there, so figuring out how it plays out, I think, will take will a take few years. So
0: probably earlier than the banking, uh, it will take a few more years, as I said, to, to sort this all out. That makes sense, but it definitely seems like a huge opportunity for Casista uh, to move into. The market
1: um, Along with wealth management, I think that's another great opportunity for us to. And that's the other markets that we're actively looking at. But we're only focused on financial services uh, because we believe in uh, applied AI or domain-specific AI. Think that uh, building general-purpose or uh, no-all. I speak 100 languages, I self-train myself, AI is still uh, years off. So we're focused on financial services and we think we can
0: uh, have serious impact on that, on that market. That makes sense. So yeah, I guess you somewhat already answered this question, but where, where is the next opportunity for K-Zisto, uh geographically?
1: Um, well, we operate today in North America and in Asia, there are two, uh, or APAC, broadly speaking, two markets, and uh, we, this year, we will start looking at the European market uh, as well. Um, you know, obviously, languages is an important part of what we do, and while there is this notion in the industry that there are some companies out there that talk about supporting you know dozens or hundreds of languages. Uh, we don't believe that, given today's state of technology, it's visible. When we do language support from customer experience perspective, uh, we are focused on conversational aspects, and it's an effort uh, that we, we go through to add new languages. Today, we support four. We'd like to add more languages, and that uh, will be essential for the European market. Today, we we do English, uh, Chinese, uh, Bahasa, and French, and we'll be adding more.
0: Um, uh, more more language as well to expand into the European market. I guess, lastly, you're a four-time founder um, and serial entrepreneur. What advice do you have for those looking to start their own ventures uh, and break into fintech? You've obviously done extremely well with Kazista. You've received venture funding from uh, highly esteemed venture capital funds like Two Sigma, Propel, MasterCard. What advice do you have for someone looking to also do this, maybe coming from an MBA?
1: Well, I think three things that are very important. Uh, one is to have a clear vision statement. I think companies need to have purpose. Why do exist? What are you What are you trying to do? And then we, you know, we our, ours is to um, use AI to help users make better financial decisions. Achieve better financial well-being. I think that's important. vision statement is super important. I think focusing on, and deeply caring about people and employees and giving them an opportunity to learn and grow, uh, I, I think is 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 very important. And three, uh, be very clear and specific on the problem. Is that a you know uh, painkiller or vitamin? They like to say in Silicon Valley, and I think it's you know very true. What's the problem we're solving, and how am I going to solve it? So vision. Uh, people and, and the right problem.
0: That's great advice. Dora, thank you so much for joining us today on the Warden FinTech podcast.
1: That's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Appreciate the time. Thank you.